The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. You have to know what a joy it is, again, to be with you today. And Greg, thanks for your kind words. And I always feel like, like I'm coming home and I'm with family when I'm with you. Don and I are really excited to be with you this morning and worshiping with you today and just happy to be here together. We're reaching Charleston with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're doing it together. And I want to thank you again for your partnership and for your work together in the gospel. And really excited just to be with you today. I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and head over to the book of Galatians. If you're new to the church like I was not long ago, you're wondering where that's at, go all the way to the back and start working towards the left. You'll find it pretty quickly. Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to um, share with you a story I was reminded of uh, from December 2020. Maybe you heard about this story. U.S. Customs agents had a large seizure over on the West Coast. They intercepted a small fishing vessel on the beach, and inside the fishing vessel, they found a haul of fake goods, counterfeit goods. It was crazy the kind of stuff that they found in there that had been brought over from Asia. They found, like belts and expensive handbags and colognes and clothing and uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting and was of particular interest to me uh, were they found a bunch of counterfeit shoes. Here's actually a picture of what those shoes looked like when they found them. Now you're looking at that and to the untrained eye you're like, what? I get the handbags and I get the other things and I recognize the Dior, but what am I looking at? What you're looking at is you're looking at a collaboration between the Air Jordan brand and the Christian Dior brand of shoes. They only made about 2,000 pairs. You had to enter a lottery for the privilege of buying them. If you won on the lottery and they selected your name, you had to drive to a major city in the United States, like New York, Miami, Chicago, they were also in Paris, but there were only 2,000 pairs. And if they selected your name, you would have to drive there or fly there to get them and give them $2,000 for the privilege of buying this pair of shoes. To which you guys are all laughing because you're like, they're just shoes. And they're not even attractive shoes, right? But, But you'd be surprised to know that the resale sneaker market in the world is a $100 billion, with a B, $100 billion a year business. In the United States alone, it's a $6 billion market. That's why they're counterfeiting those. Now, those shoes that cost $2,000 to buy originally are being resold right now. You could go and buy them if you wanted to, if you had a mind to. You'd be surprised to know how much they resell for. I went and looked for you. I took a picture. Here's how much those shoes are reselling for right now. Look at the screen. $5,400. That's an actual sale that somebody paid for a pair of shoes. Right? That's why they're counterfeiting those shoes. Because they can make a bunch of money on those shoes. People don't counterfeit things that are not valuable. You know what they didn't find on that boat? Crocs. 
not one pair, unless the sailors were wearing them themselves, right? Which are really helpful if you're on a fishing vessel. Why didn't they find Crocs on the ship? Because you can go to Amazon right now and buy a pair for $29.99. Super comfortable, super affordable, but not being counterfeited for obvious reasons. The point is this. The only things that get counterfeited are things that are valuable, things that are important, things that are expensive or worth something. Counterfeiters don't counterfeit $1 bills. If they do, they're really bad counterfeiters. Now listen, nowhere is this more true than with a gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more valuable, nothing more important that we have and that we have to get to people than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the enemy knows this and he spends his time creating counterfeit gospels and trying to get those counterfeit gospels to people because he knows how valuable they are. It's true for us today and it was true for the Christians at the churches in Galatia that the apostle Paul is writing to. The gospel is under attack today. The gospel was under attack then. And listen, the gospel will always be under attack until the return of Jesus Christ. And here's what you need to recognize. The enemy of your souls would much rather you believe a perverted gospel than to deny the gospel altogether. Because if you believe a perverted or distorted gospel, you'll never seek the real thing. You'll always think you have the real thing and be content to have the wrong thing, but the whole time deceived into thinking that it's in fact the right thing. If you believe a distorted gospel, you'll never seek the true, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't grow up in a church home, and maybe you're like me, and you just hear gospel, and you're like, man, those Christians are talking about gospel all the time, but I don't really know what gospel is. The word means good news. That's what the word means, and it's the good news about Jesus Christ. To be more specific, it's the good news that in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I am once and for all reconciled to God because of Christ's work. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that I can be restored. Now in our church, and I know in your church as well, I like to think of the gospel in four words, and it might be helpful for you to write these four words down. The gospel always begins with this first word, God. God is the gospel. He is the good news. There is a God. He created you. And as your creator, he has a right to rule and to reign over you. He is holy. He is just. He is perfect in all of his ways. And he has spoken clearly about what he requires from man, his creation. That's the second word that I would like you to write down is the word man. God, man. Man, through his own choice and through his own nature, rebelled against the rule and reign of God. All of you and all of us have chosen to rebel against our creator's rule and reign, either through sins of commission or through sins of omission. We don't want God to rule and reign over us. We want to be in charge of our lives. That's the human condition. And listen, there are lots of socially acceptable ways to sin. There are lots of socially acceptable ways to live in a way that displeases God and incurs his judgment and his wrath. And all of us, the Bible says, have gone astray like sheep. We've all sinned against God, and we've all earned his just condemnation and punishment for our sin. God is holy. We are not. The third word or phrase that I want you to write down is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. 
God took on human flesh and lived a perfect, sinless life, satisfying all of his own commands. He did it completely. He did it fully. And he satisfied it so completely that when he died on the cross, his final words were, it is That's right, it is finished. He did it. He completed it. He completed all that God required. He was buried. Three days later, God raised him from the grave, as you just sang about, victorious over sin and death. But you have to have this fourth and most important part of what we're talking about. It's this. There's a response. God, man, Jesus, response. There is a response required. You can know the first three things and give mental assent and say, yes, there is a God. No, I am not him. Jesus Christ can fix my problem with God. But knowing those things does not make you a Christian and does not save you. You're not different because you know. You're different because by faith you place your trust in Jesus Christ. That's the response that is required for the gospel to become yours, for the good news to actually become yours. There has to be a moment of conversion, a moment where you're confronted with the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, and in faith and repentance, you turn from your sins, and you turn to Jesus Christ and say, you are Lord, I will bow my knee to you. You're going to do that. That's going to happen for you. You can do it now and it will result in eternal life or you can do it after you die and you'll be forced to your knee through clenched teeth and you will be forced to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. You can do it now and it results in eternal life or you can do it then through clenched teeth in hatred of God but you will do it. And this morning I want to encourage you that if there's never been a moment in your life where you have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and been confronted with your own sinfulness, that today you would turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ as the answer to your problem with God and trust in Christ alone to make you right with God and to keep you right with God. That's the gospel. And there aren't other gospels, though our world tries to peddle many, many other gospels. So now that we're all on the same page and what we're talking about with the gospel, here's the point that I'm going to make this morning. In a culture where everything and anything goes, the purity of the gospel must be maintained by standing in truth and standing against error. That's what I want us to do this morning. Our text is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to read God's word, and then I'm going to pray and ask God to teach us. Will you look in your Bibles as I read aloud? Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another. Only, there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to To what you received, he is to be accursed. Let's pray together. God, your word is holy and true and perfect and teaches us everything that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness. It is your chosen way of revealing yourself to us.
And so this morning, God, we would begin by thanking you. Thanking you that you have revealed yourself, that we don't have to wonder who you are and what you're like and what you desire from us, but you have told us plainly and you have told us clearly. So God, our need this morning then is for our hearts to be receptive to your word, that our minds would have comprehension and understanding of what you're saying, that your spirit would be our teacher, that you would bring encouragement and conviction and instruction and correction and that you would grant us real repentance, Lord, so that we would be changed as we leave here today. And I pray for the person within the sound of my voice who has never turned from their sins and by faith trusted in the perfect atoning work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that today would be the day of decision for them. Help us to examine our own hearts and our own lives and see if these things are true of us, Lord. We submit ourselves to you for these purposes, and we ask that you would do this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you agree with that prayer, church, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you don't know the book of Galatians, you have to know that this is a church in modern-day Turkey. It's actually a group of churches that the apostle Paul started. He was a church planner. And I know what that's kind of like, and I'm not comparing myself to the Apostle Paul, but I know what it's like to go into a place and try to start a church from scratch. And I know what it's like to have a group of people that you love and that you pour your life into and you see them hear the gospel and believe the gospel and have their life forever changed. And then he left, and sometime after he left, these guys showed up from Jerusalem who were saying, hey, that stuff that Paul preached to you, that's good stuff. Like Jesus, yeah, we're for Jesus too. You need Jesus. But with Jesus, you have to add these other things and then you can be a Christian. Their message was Jesus plus something equals Christianity. Now for them, if you know the book of Galatians, they were kind of stuck on two things. The first one was circumcision. They were like, well, if you want to be a Christian, you got to be circumcised. Or you can't be a Christian because God's covenant people are circumcised. And then the other one that they were really stuck on was special holy days. Well, you got to be circumcised, and you have to observe all of these days, then you can be a Christian. But any variation to Jesus Christ is the gospel is a distortion of the gospel. And if you know the way your New Testament works, and you read Paul, who wrote just about half of the New Testament, in almost all of his letters, there's like this little thanksgiving part in the beginning, right? He's always like, hey, it's me, Paul. I mean, this is the Joe translation. He's like, hey, it's me, Paul. I'm an apostle. God sent me. That's why I'm writing to you, and I'm writing to you, and here's who you are. And then he's like, I thank God and all my remembrance of you. Like most of the time, he's starting his letters that way. But like look at verses 1 through 5. Do you see any thanksgiving in 1 through 5 anywhere in the book of Galatians? It doesn't exist. He does the I'm the Paul thing. He does the you're the churches of Galatia thing in verse 2. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God in verse 3. He gives the good news of the gospel in verse 4. And then in verse 5, he says, amen. And like verse 6 should be, I thank God. But he doesn't. It's different from his other letters. He goes in. And he goes hard. And he says, I'm amazed. I don't understand what's happening. This isn't how I left you. What are you doing? This is mind-boggling to me, the direction that you're taking. Paul, why are you going in so hard on them? Because the gospel was being distorted. And if they believed the false gospel, it was going to lead to their destruction. Notice two times in the verse, he said to us in verse 8, look at the end of verse 8. If you listen, if somebody preaches a gospel contrary, that person who preaches it is accursed. The Greek word is anathema. It literally means to be damned. It means to be under God's punishment and um, 
wrath forever. And then it says again at the end of verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary, he is to be accursed. Here's our main idea this morning, it's this. When it comes to the gospel, distortion will lead to desertion. It's a process. First you listen to a distorted gospel, it will cause you to desert the real gospel, and if you desert the real gospel, it leads to damnation. If you abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you. There is no hope for you. It's a process described in our passage that the Galatians were actively involved in. They started believing the gospel that Paul was preaching, but sometime later, we don't know how long, men came preaching that other message. And it's happening today. And it's happening in America. And it's happening in our churches. That there are lots of other gospels that are being preached. And God has entrusted to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility to stand in the truth of the gospel. And if we're going to stand for the truth of the gospel and stand against distorting the gospel, here's the first thing that you and I must do. I want you to write this down. You and I must reject all distorted gospels. Christian, you must reject all distorted gospels. By reject, I mean don't believe them. Don't receive them. Don't consider them. Don't play nice with them. Reject them. They don't lead to God. But that's the message that the enemy will bring to you. I mean, you understand this about your enemy, right? That he disguises himself, the Bible says, as an angel of light. He doesn't show up and say, hey, let's destroy your life. He doesn't show up and say, hey, let's destroy your marriage and everybody around you. He shows up and he says, this is the way to follow God. This is the way to eternity. You want to go to heaven? It looks like this. That's the message that he shows up with. It seems right. It feels right. And if you don't know the gospel... You'll be deceived, and if you are deceived by believing a distorted gospel, you'll desert the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that ends in damnation. Like Paul, we should be amazed at the other gospels. We should be amazed at that kind of thing. And look at verse 6. Paul said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. Paul said, I'm amazed that you're doing it. That word amazed means to be extraordinarily impressed or disturbed by something. It's, it's kind of like a dad term. It, it means to be severely disappointed. I think my kids would prefer any other punishment that I could give them except to say to them, I'm so disappointed in you. And no, 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 please just spank me, dad. Don't say that. Right? Just ground me. Take away something. Don't say I'm disappointed in you. And that Paul to his spiritual children, I'm severely disappointed in what's going on. Well, what's he amazed at? Look at verse 6. What does it say that he's amazed at in verse 6? What does your Bible say? What are they doing? Isn't this interesting? He says, I'm so amazed that you are quickly doing what? Believing another gospel? Is that what he said? He said, you're deserting him. Who's the him, church? Christ. Listen, to believe another gospel is to desert Jesus Christ. To listen to a distorted gospel and another message means that you are abandoning Jesus Christ. He's amazed that they're deserting Christ. That word desert there means to turn away from. Um, it means to uh, leave from one place and go to another. In classical Greek, it was used of a turncoat. The word was used to describe one altering his opinion or becoming of another mind. Now, here's an interesting thing. 
in verse 6, it's written in the present tense. You say, well, why do I even care about that? Because they are presently deserting Christ. It's not written in a tense in which it would have been like the perfect tense. He would have said, you made a decision back here, and the results continue today. He, he's not saying you did something and you're stuck now. He's saying you're in the middle of deserting Christ, and I'm trying to stop you from believing a distorted gospel so you don't desert Christ. There's hope in what he's saying. And there's hope here, even in the amazement. Paul is trying desperately to stop the desertion. We know that because there's no thanksgiving. He goes right in. Why? Because to reject the gospel of Christ is to reject Christ himself. And if you reject Christ, there is no reconciliation with your creator. How do I know that? Well, because I know what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. That's a direct object, not an indirect object. He didn't say, I'm a way. He said, I am the way. There's one. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No one comes to the Father. How? Except through me. And you have to understand the way that that's written is it's written in a definite clause in the Greek. No one comes to the Father. There's no way. You can't do it. You can't do it. Except, exception clause, there is one way. Not many ways. All roads don't lead to God. Only one does. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation and no one else speaking of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now the question has to be asked. If all of this is true, and since all of this is true, why would they leave Christ? Isn't that the natural question? Why would they leave Christ? If leaving Christ results in damnation, why were they leaving Christ? And I would suggest to you that they didn't think that they were leaving Christ. They believed the distorted gospel which said to them, this is the real way to Christ. This is the real way to God. And it looks like this, and you should go that way. They didn't know that a distorted gospel is a false gospel. So Paul says to them at the end of verse 6, you're deserting Christ for a different gospel, Wait, I thought there was only one way to God, right? Verse 7, which is really not another because there are no other gospels. There's only one. But everybody pretends that there's more than one and that you can get there any way that you want. He says there's not another gospel in verse 7. There's just some who are disturbing you and they want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make a note of this. There aren't other gospels. There's only one the Galatians were being disturbed, it says in verse 7. That means to disturb mentally with excitement and perplexity and fear. It's in the present tense, which means those guys who were disturbing them were there in the church right then. And Paul's letter showed up, and he's calling them out in front of everybody right in the church and saying what these guys are doing is they're deserting Christ, and they want you to desert Christ too. They were actively distorting the gospel of Christ. That word distort means to pervert or to change. It means to alter. And I would just suggest to you that 2,000 years later, it's still happening. 2021 America is full of false, distorted gospels. And if you believe them, you will be separated from Christ with no hope of being reconciled to God. So I want to share with you quickly five false gospels that I see in our culture today. These are five false gospels that damn. 
And by damn, I mean what the scriptures mean when it says accursed. Okay, that's where I get the word from. So not trying to be sensational, just trying to be thoroughly biblical in what I'm saying to you. Here are five false gospels that if you believe them, you will be accursed. Here's the first one. Legalism. Legalism. You say, well, what's legalism? How is that a false gospel? Legalism teaches that keeping a set of rules makes you right with God. That if I do all of the right things and I don't do the wrong things, if I just follow the letter of the law, that's going to make me right with God. Life is all about rules and regulations. Don't do this. Only do this. Here's the problem with legalism. It's all dependent on my performance. It's dependent on me. It's dependent on what I do. It's a distorted gospel that damns because it trusts my efforts instead of trusting Christ's efforts. That's why it's a distorted gospel. And listen, all of these are so sneaky because is there a prescribed life that God has for us? Are there certain things that he wants us to do, yes or no? Are there certain things that he doesn't want us to do? Yes, there are things that he doesn't want us to do. And we can fall into the trap of making that the basis of whether or not we're reconciled to God. That's legalism. You are reconciled to God because you are in Christ, period. Not because you're a good boy or not because you do good things, but because Jesus was good and he did all of the good things and you're in him. Legalism teaches, well, it depends on you. You just have to do all the right rules and all of the wrong things. It's dependent on your performance. It believes the lie that apart from Christ, I can do something. And if that were true, then I would just ask you, why did Christ die? Just do all of those things. Christ didn't even need to die. Right? I mean, Paul deals with this at the end of Galatians chapter 2. And he says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave, him up, gave himself up for me. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, keeping the law, doing all of the things that God commanded, notice Christ died needlessly. He, he didn't need to die. Just keep the law. That wasn't the purpose of the law, and the law can't perform and produce salvation in you. Another message for another time. Moving on, another false gospel that damns is this one that I see a lot, which is intellectualism. Intellectualism. Intellectualism teaches that believing the right things makes me right with God and keeps me right with God. Right? I just have to believe the right things. I just have to give mental assent to a certain set of facts. And if I give assent to those facts, then I'm a Christian. I believe there is a God. Check. I believe that I am sinful. Check. I believe that Jesus is God and he died for me. Check. Then I must be a Christian. Wrong. That's intellectualism. And there are lots of people who believe those three things but are not going to heaven. They're not saved from their sins. They're not in Jesus Christ. They think that believing a set of facts makes them a Christian. They think that life is about knowing the right things. In fact, it doesn't matter how, how I live as long as I affirm the right set of facts. This false gospel teaches that my relationship with God is dependent on my beliefs. I just have to believe the right things. And it believes the lie that holy living is not required for God's people. It's super popular in America today. 
I'll give you an example of this. I was living in the Florida Keys. Yep, everyone's got a cross. That was mine for that season. And um, we were in, um, I was working in downtown Key West at a glass shop, and I was an associate pastor at a church. And, you know, I don't lead with a pastor thing because as soon as you lead with a pastor thing, everybody's like, oh, well, now they're super-duper Christian, right, just showed up, right? So I don't lead with a pastor thing. And um, so for two weeks, we had this new guy who showed up. His name was Kenny. And I was trying to share the gospel with Kenny and talking with Kenny about his life and what was going on. And his wife was in the Navy, and she was deployed, and he was working at this glass shop, and he was sharing with all of the guys at the shop his escapades at the bars while his wife was gone, and adultery, and this lifestyle that he was living, right? And then one night, the boss told him that I was a pastor, and apparently he got saved that night because the next day, his conversation changed, and it was completely different, right? And Kenny was a different man, which is why I don't lead with a pastor thing, right? Just be who you are. Let's have a conversation, and I remember talking to Kenny about the way that he was living his life. And like, Kenny, like, there, there's a disconnect here. You say that you belong to Christ, but like, your wife is gone, and you're this man, and you're doing these things. There's a disconnect. And he said, hey, don't you worry about me. Me and Jesus are all right. And I, and I said, Kenny, do, does he know about this? And Kenny said, hey, I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. I got baptized. Me and God are all right. I got my ticket punched to heaven, right? Can, can he believe the false gospel of intellectualism? I just have to believe the right things. And if I say the right prayer and I get everything right, well, then me and God are okay. Wrong, dead wrong, eternally wrong. And I see this all over our churches today. And I would just say to you this morning, if you're here, that if the gospel of Christ hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. If the gospel of Christ hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. It always results in a new life. And if you're saying that somewhere back there you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer and you got dunked in water and you're a follower of Christ, but you're not year after year becoming progressively more like Christ, not perfectly, increasingly, progressively more like Christ, there's a problem and maybe you believe the false gospel of intellectualism. Here's the third one I see. It's moralism. Moralism. Moralism teaches that being a good, decent, and moral person makes me right with God and keeps me right with God. It's got to be a good guy, decent, and moral. Moralism would teach this, that life is all about, above all, being nice. That's what life is about. Life is about being nice and smiling and recycling. And that if I'm just good enough, then God will have no choice but to accept me. Well, there's a major problem with this one. We won't have to spend a ton of time on this because the Bible's really clear about this dead-end false gospel. The Bible teaches that none of us are actually moral. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even... Here's the problem, though. We're like, that's right, except for me. I mean, there are, there are exceptions, and you're looking at it right now. You aren't righteous, but I'm kind of a good guy. Keep my lawn cut. Keep my recycling bin on my side. I haven't kicked any dogs in such a long time. Don't honk at anybody in traffic. I have all these moral things that I do. I must belong to Christ. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. 
All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. Does that include you? Does that include you? Because it includes me. That's why I need Jesus. I don't have a resume to hold up in front of God and tell him what a good person I am. He already said I'm not good. The only resume that I have to hold up before God is Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness. I don't have anything to commend me to God. I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm reconciled to God. Instead of moralism, we should say what Paul said in Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Here's the fourth one, socialism. By socialism, I don't mean the political ideology. I almost call this one wokeism. It's the social justice gospel, super popular with Generation Z and the millennials. And um, you're like, oh, here we go. He's going to go all in on the millennials. You couldn't be more wrong. I actually love the millennials. I have some that live in my house. And uh, I think the millennials are going to do unbelievably great things for the kingdom of God. And they have more technology and more information and more access and more resources than our world has ever known. And, and I think that their future is the brightest, not the worst. And I would just encourage all of you who, uh, like me, have these weird white-colored hairs coming in everywhere to stop talking about millennials and Generation Z that way. But here's the false gospel that they're believing. Hook line and sinker that the gospel is all about social causes that the gospel is about social justice the gospel is about race issues what socialism teaches this is closely related to moralism it teaches that the purpose of the gospel is to get you to feed the poor and to help the sick and to end systemic racism and violence to women and to speak truth to power that's why jesus came the goal is to create a society that everyone agrees is, this is a great society. Everyone agrees. Now, here's what I would say to us this morning. While abolishing evil things should be a part of the work of the people who are the kingdom of God. That was a great spot for an amen. You didn't know it was coming. I'll give you another run at it. While abolishing evil things should be a part of the work of the people who are in the kingdom of God, right? they're, they're not the focus, they're not the goal, they're not the end result. They're the byproducts of righteous people living under God's rule and reign. It's a substitute gospel that teaches heaven on earth now by peace with each other through socially charged distinctives. And it fails to deal with the wicked, sinful hearts that don't care about the suffering of people of the world or the sick or those being abused in harmful political and ideological systems. And Christians today are buying this hook, line, and sinker. They're not just nibbling at it. They're not just checking it out. I've had people leave our church over this false gospel saying this, I just want a church that will focus on racism said those words and I said brother because I believe this guy is a brother he's just deceived we're not flying that flag we have a flag it's Jesus Christ and when men and women and boys and girls repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ he obliterates that kind of evil thinking it's a false gospel to focus on all of these secondary issues but it feels good 
And our world loves it and celebrates it and applauds it. Good little Christians, you're doing just what we think you should. And then we don't have to deal with persecution and we don't have to deal with suffering. We don't have to deal with being countercultural. We can just be friends with the world. The problem is the Bible teaches that to be friends with the world is to be enemies of God. That sounds like a really bad plan to me. And maybe you've bought into some of this. And I would just say to you, hey, it's not too late. Repent, which means change your mind. The gospel of Jesus Christ fixes all of our social ills, every single one of them. And what people need is to have their hearts converted, not just to feel better about their life. There's such a push to convince all of us that we're racist. Sat down with a pastor in this city who said to me, he said, Joe, the problem is, is that you're racist and you don't know it. Like, I mean, I, I know myself pretty well. That, that's like saying, Joe, the problem is that you're a murderer and you don't know it. I, I think I'd probably be pretty aware of that. If I made a decision to end somebody else's life, if I made a decision to treat somebody differently on the basis of their skin color, that's a sin. And Galatians 5 says that people who practice the sin of racism will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The answer is for them to come to Jesus Christ and he changes their heart. Don't buy the false gospel of wokeism and socialism. Don't focus on the external and fail to focus on doctrinal truth that their heart needs to be changed. Probably too long on that one. Sorry, I feel a little passionate about that one today. Here's the fifth and final one. And it's this, it's materialism. It's materialism. Materialism teaches that the goal of life and a relationship with God is about stuff, right? And, and like, I can determine how my relationship with God is based on the stuff that I have. And if my bank account is okay, and my 401k is doing okay, then me and God are okay. But if things start to tank, then something must be wrong with me and God, right? I remember a deacon in the first church that I served on staff with. We were out fishing, me, him, and another guy. And man, this deacon was just like pulling up grouper left and right. Back to the cross thing in the Florida Keys, right? Just like pulling up grouper. And I'm like, man, the other guy with us is like, Jim, how are you doing that? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, did, did you pay God this week? I was like, wait, what? And he said to the guy, he said, did you pay God this week? And the guy said, what are you talking about? He said, did you give your tithes and offerings at church this week? The guy said, no. Jim said, I did. Whoop, another fish. <laughs> what is that? What is that? That's materialism. That my relationship with God is based on stuff. There's an equal and opposite error, by the way, which is what the monks were all about, which is called asceticism, which means God is super happy with me the more miserable I am. If I can just punish myself enough and not enjoy anything, God is super pleased. And both of those are wrong and false gospels. And I would just say to you this morning that there are many, many, many more than the five that I gave you. And what I want you to do this morning, church, is I want you to reject all distorted gospels. I want you to reject them. Don't support them. Don't encourage them. Don't come alongside of them and see how they feel. Reject them. They can't save. They can't redeem. They can't sanctify. They can't deliver on their promises. Instead, do the second and final thing, and then we're done. I want you to rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I want you to rely on the good news of Jesus Christ that he and he alone makes you right with God. And if you're in Christ, you have once and for all been made right with God. All of your trust has to be in him. And one of the ways you can find out if this is true for you is if I was to say to you, if you were standing before God on the day of judgment and he said to you, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer that question? You don't have to answer out loud, but I just want you to think, how would you answer that question? Because you believe the right things? Because you said the right things? You had the right things? You did the right things? I mean, like anything that you hold up as a resume is a really, really bad plan, according to Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, where there are people standing before Christ on the day of judgment saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out many demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus said to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they're trusting in what they do. They're not trusting in Christ. And I want you to rely on Christ. And when you sin, I want, not, not if, when, Christian, when you sin, I want you to trust in Christ. You still need Jesus. You won't grow past it. You can't be like, all right, 20 years in, I won't need Jesus anymore. That's not Christianity. That's something else. I only grow in my appreciation of my need of Jesus Christ. I've been trying to walk with Christ for 25 years, and I've never felt like I'm failing more. I never felt like that I needed Christ more than I am right now. But do I need Christ more today than I did the first day in 1997? And the answer is no. I don't need him more today. I've needed him the whole way, the whole time, at 100% need. And my need has not diminished to this day. And when I think it has, I'm believing a false gospel. I need Jesus to make me right with God and to keep me right with God. And every time I sin, I run back to Jesus Christ and I run back to the cross. That's why I need Jesus. I don't, I don't try to perform my penance. Well, if I just get my devotions in, I get a couple days of good things in here, maybe God won't be mad at me about the whole porn thing again and me and God can just be okay Let's just get a couple good days under our belt and then we'll go back to God. What are you doing? Run back to Christ. That's why you need Christ. Well, I won't be such an angry, bitter man if I just get some more prayer time in and get more. No, you need Christ. That's what you need. Prayer time is good. Bible time is good. But you need Christ. And you go to the Word and you go to prayer so you can commune with Christ. You're not going to get more information. You're going to meet with Christ. You need Christ. And you should rely on him not just for your salvation, but for your life. Rely on him to give you a relationship with God. Rely on him to keep you in relationship with God. And rely on him to bring you to the presence of God forever. Don't trust in your effort. Don't trust in your beliefs. Don't trust in your goodness. Don't trust in your performance. They're all counterfeits. Trust in Jesus Christ alone. And when you fail in the process, and you will fail, return to the crisis and confess, which means to agree with God that what you did was wrong. And repent. Ask the Lord to change your mind and trust in Christ again and submit to his will as a product of your relationship with him. Not because you're trying to earn something from him, but because he's already given you everything in his son. Rely on Christ. Now, if you're here today and God has made you aware, you know. 
you know and your heart's been beating out of your chest that you are not right with God, then today is the day of decision for you that you'd reject all false gospels and that you would turn to Jesus Christ by faith and in prayer of faith and repentance that you would confess to God that he is God and that you are a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection to cover and atone for your sins and restore you to God. And Jesus said, he who comes to me in no way will I cast him out. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, today is the day of decision for you. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray. The worship team's gonna come. We're gonna sing. And if that's you, you've never trusted Christ, you've got questions, you need to talk to somebody, Pastor Greg's gonna be waiting in the back while we're singing. He wants to talk to you. He wants to help you know Jesus Christ today. But for those of you who know that you belong to Christ and you're trusting in him alone, keep trusting him. Confess to him those areas where you've, dist- where you've uh, believed a distorted gospel or you've distracted a little bit. Come back. Come back to Christ alone and let him be the one that your hope and your faith is in. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Thank you that there is good news. And the good news is, is that you didn't wait for us to clean up our life that you didn't wait for us to be good because we could never be good enough. But God, you demonstrated your love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that in coming to Christ, that he cleans, he cleanses, he makes us whole, he restores, he reconciles, he grows, he carries, he lives in and through. And so encourage our hearts this morning, Lord. Help us to identify areas where we're not trusting Christ and trusting in our own efforts and cause us to repent and to trust in him. So we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us, Lord. And I pray for that person here this morning who knows that they don't belong to you, but today is the day of decision for them. And I pray that as we sing that they would get up and they would go and talk to Pastor Greg without waiting. So, Lord, would you lead us all now to respond appropriately to your word in faith and trust in Christ. It's in his strong name that we pray. Amen.